Neck and neck, welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, is always at houstonchronicle.com and uh, San Antonio Express News. It's, is it mysa.com or expressnews.com? People can find it either way, right? Expressnews.com. Yeah, that's what you need. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to start here with the reason that this show is not going to be that great. Now, I know our our many fans are saying, wait, what? I've been waiting all week for this. Jeremy, do you hear from any people who say they're actually angry if we don't post a show on a Friday? People, I've, I've had people say, oh, man, I can't even believe this. Or if I say we're not going to have a show, people will uh, tweet at me, not hatred, but like sad memes, like cartoon characters crying and things <laughs> like that. Like Tigger, like Tigger from uh, Winnie, the, uh, Winnie the Pooh, like, you know, being sad and trudging off in the snow, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's I'm like right. It's like I'm riots touched. in the street, right? Well, I'm touched by the connection we have with the with the audience, but I want to explain that I'm a little off, and the uh, the analysis won't be quite as sharp as usual. You know how Maya on a podcast, you can click the button that uh, you can go back 15 seconds and, and listen again. People always have to do that during the show. We can see that in the analytics because people are uh, Jeremy. They're trying to wrap their minds around what we just said. Happens all the time. That's how sharp it is. Or people have to push pause and let it sink in. I'm here to tell you, this show will not be that way. It's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a little subpar, but it's because it's for a good reason. And especially people in Houston will be able to appreciate this. I want to read a sentence from Texas Sports Nation at HoustonChronicle.com. And this was about the Astros game on Tuesday. And look, we're in the playoffs now. I'm going to be a little unfocused regardless, but... This game on Tuesday was incredible. This is what was uh, in the story at the Houston Chronicle. It said, they will talk on bar stools or by water coolers with pure glee, picture perfect memory, and perhaps a hint of hyperbole about the afternoon that Jordan Alvarez added his name to a list of legends propelling the Houston Astros through their golden era. Alvarez launches deep right field. Jeremy, so great. And I'm here to tell you, I was up till about 2.30, 3 in the morning re-watching the replay. I watched every version of it, you know, because there's all these different angles, the people going wild on the, you know, on the, on the field. I saw uh, the, the, I think it was the radio uh, announcer uh, who was taking heat from people because of how excited he was. And he was screaming uh, during the deal. And people were tweeting hatred at him and saying, Dude, screaming is not, that's not good broadcasting. Well, I'm here to tell you, good broadcasting is when you connect with the audience. And he was certainly doing that. So, Jeremy, forgive me if I'm a little off today. Well, we all need to be powered by Jordan Alvarez for this whole show to kind of get through the thing. But what made yeah. <laughs> that all so much even more, I think, emotional was that mm -hmm. like just how much utter sadness there was all over Texas <laughs> after – you know, Verlander got rocked for the first right. couple of, you know, innings mm -hmm. and you're thinking, what, what's happening here? It's like, I thought for sure we were going to get like classic, you know, great pitching and win this thing out. Right. And it, like, and it was like, wasn't happening. for like, you know, five innings, I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, they're going to get beat by these guys, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course that gets all fixed with, you know, one beautiful swing of the bat. Oh, so good. How could you not be romantic about baseball? 
All right. Enough of that for enough of that for now. You can watch it. By the way, during the playoffs, my Twitter feed also turns into uh, an Astros Stan account. Um, in politics this week, it was all over the place, Jeremy, that this is really a close race for governor. And I saw all of this, uh, uh, all this TV coverage of one poll, which how many times have I said on this show and elsewhere, you never read too much into one poll. But when one poll comes out and you've said a version of it many times that not every poll is news, but 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 you know, putting that aside. I saw this everywhere. And of course, Beto O'Rourke's campaign wanted to promote the fact that there was so much TV coverage of this poll that shows a race for governor that is basically neck and neck. Greg Abbott, Beto O'Rourke are nearly neck and neck. Polling shows a tightening race. Just four points in between the two, the closest numbers we have seen yet. Okay, I'm not going to talk about the poll. If you want to say anything about the poll, you can, Jeremy. But I think it's fair to say, well, it's fair to say that whatever you have to say about the polling, the fundraising is where they really were neck and neck, but but not um, you know not necessarily in the overall picture of the race, right? Uh, but at least for this reporting period. Well, all I have to say about the poll is that Marist University uh, up in New York in Poughkeepsie is a beautiful campus, and we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what about the fundraising? I saw you tweeted it out, and it said two hundred million dollar race for governor. Yeah, you know, this is like what I live for in a, in a campaign. It's just record after record after record on everything you can think of. You know, it's like this is going to be like, you know, the closest gubernatorial race in 30 something years at this point. Uh, we almost, we know that no matter what the polls tell you. It's like, you know, I'm, this is going to be a close race. And most of us have seen, you know, since the 90s. But secondly, you know, the money, the $200 million that is now being used to run for governor, you know, in the state of Texas by these two guys. Like, that is amazing. Obviously, that shatters anything we've ever seen before. And for the poor viewers at home, you know it. <laughs> you're seeing it. You know, it's like whether you're in, like, I have friends in Amarillo going, man, the governor's on my TV all the freaking time. Mm -hmm. What's happening here? I got right. friends in Houston saying, man, there's so many Beto ads. What's going on? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, but you can see these guys are pouring a ton into media because here, you, when you're in a state with 22 big media markets, it's yeah. expensive. And $200 oh, yeah. million dollars is exactly what they need to make sure that this looks like a campaign and it turns into get out the vote operations. Yeah. And, and that's part of what I was wondering earlier in the year would it would be this question. Um, will both of these guys have enough gas in the tank financially to be able to be on television all the way through the election? And of course, they will be. I mean, the, the basic math on running television in Texas in just the major markets, I think it's about one point four or one point five million dollars every week to be able to do that. And if they still have, you know, the amount of cash on hand that they have in the bank, which was also interesting, Jeremy, that Beto actually has more money in his account than Abbott does, which I did not expect that at all. Um, they're both going to be blowing us up on television uh, all the way to November 8th. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that really kind of surprised me, I didn't think uh, Beto O'Rourke could get close to what he raised in 2018 against Ted Cruz, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. that like he had so much more time in that election. Right. And he ended up hitting like 79 million. He's not quite there yet. He's at 66 million, but he's done it in such a truncated way. Right. You know, it's like he's only been running since November. You know, it's like so his fundraising has been since November and it's like and it just blows you away to think, you know, if you can pull down sixty six million dollars in, you know, less than a year, it's like what's he going to end up with as a final to total? That is just something we just have never 
come close to. He's like he, he, easily the most well-funded Democratic candidate for governor. I say that recognize that, you know, obviously folks who remember Tony Sanchez, you know, he had, mm-hmm. you know, spent over $70 million in his race, but almost all of that was his personal finances. What you're seeing mm-hmm. from the Better Work campaign, at least, is like, this is all donations, man. And same thing with Abbott. Like, neither one of these guys are, you know, wealthy billionaires who are funding their campaign. This is right. all fundraising. It's just like a pure my supporters versus your supporters and let's let 17.5 million Texans decide this thing. So their ads are not the only ones that are on television. Um, now we're at the point of the race and in the campaign cycle where those who have less money start to be on TV because they had less money to start with. Right. So they had to wait until the end, um, which is, it's it's sort of campaign 101 uh, that they sort of feel like they need to do that, although it puts a lot of candidates, if they don't have resources, in a no-win position because it's way too late to persuade a whole lot of people, right? Um, one of the issues that is front and center in this campaign has been abortion and the abortion restrictions we have in Texas being uh, you know, some of the most restrictive in the country with no exceptions for rape and incest um, in the or, or, or for age. You know, people don't talk about that one enough. There's no exception for age either, right? So if a 10-year-old girl gets raped uh, or, you know, it was, in a, it was in a horrible situation, which we'll talk more about it in a second, there's no exception for that either. In fact, all we have in Texas as an exception is if a woman is dying in front of the doctor, right? If the mother's life is in danger. So Rochelle Garza uh, is the Democrat running for attorney general against Ken Paxton, and she's hitting him on two things in her television advertising. One is his position on abortion, and two is she says he's a criminal, straight up. Sometimes criminals carry guns to rob you on the streets. Sometimes they carry briefcases to rob you of your personal freedoms. Texas needs an attorney general who will protect us from both. Rochelle Garza has fought to protect children and families and to defend our reproductive rights. Now, Mothers Against Greg Abbott, another one of these uh, third-party groups that has been an interesting group, by the way, Jeremy. This is another one of these, uh, I think, mainly just basically organic groups that popped up. MAGA, now being Mothers Against Greg Abbott, is run by uh, one woman in, uh, in Austin, but she's gotten support from all over the place and has gotten national attention. Well, they're going straight to the point that I was making earlier about young girls um, who become impregnated and what the situation is like when a doctor is explaining to a 10-year-old what's going on with her pregnancy. This is their advertisement. Wonderful. Baby has a nice, strong heartbeat. Everything's developing right on schedule. Since this is your first, you may want to take advantage of the free parenting classes we offer. I do need to prepare you for the possibility of a C-section and some long-term health issues, but for now, our focus is baby and baby looks great. Congratulations. After he says that, you then see that the person he's talking to appears to be like a nine or 10 year old girl. Uh, and I saw where there was some reaction to this online and elsewhere, Jeremy, where people were, sent, were saying that maybe that advertisement goes too far. Well, that's kind of the point that the Mothers Against Greg Abbott are making with the ad, which is that the law goes too far because it doesn't have any exceptions for any of this stuff. And I think, you know, if you look at abortion politics, um, you know, in a, in a, in a broad sense, um, I think you know, the vast majority of people, and this is based on public polling, this is based on, um, you know, election results in various places, including Kansas. Most people are not for what some people would call unlimited abortion. 
And most people are also not for abortion restrictions with no exceptions, right? That people are kind of somewhere in the middle on all this. And I think that's what makes it, or at least part of what makes it an X factor in this election cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, you know, I have a story going this weekend uh, that talks about like, you know, Greg Abbott's position on abortion. Like, you know, look, he's always been a, you know, a pro-life guy. We know that, right? You know, he's a conservative, conservative and all that. Uh, but it's interesting just kind of even hear how he talked about abortion in 2014 to versus what you know, is happening now. In 2014, he gave us no, you know, foretelling of him being the governor that would sign an abortion ban uh, that would include no exceptions for rape and incest. You know, he, look, he said he was pro-life, but he didn't sound like he was going to do this. And so, you know, it's interesting to see, like, you know, we've been trained for years that when you get into the general election, you know, can't Democrats particularly don't want to talk about abortion much because they're afraid that, you know, Texans are predominantly pro-life and that'll cost them at the ballot box. But because of how extreme you know, a lot of people view this in the polling. They they see an opportunity. They know that eighty percent of you know Texans almost you know think there should be exceptions you know on abortion. You know, like the ones that are being pointed out by you know all these different groups and, and all the different campaigns. And so you can see, like all of a sudden, you know, one of the taboos in Democratic politics to talk about in a general election now is the route to try to defeat these people. There, mm-hmm. you can hear them all talking about, hey, look what happened in Kansas. You know, it's like if you remember back in the summer, you know, Kansas had that, you know, election where it was like there was a yeah. huge mm-hmm. turnout and people didn't expect that, you know, they, you know, Kansas, a not completely conservative state, it has some liberal politics in it too, but it's still, they ended up making Pretty sure, mm-hmm. yeah, that, you know, they wouldn't follow Texas in becoming some, you know, ban all abortions, you know, for almost any reason. So it's like yeah. it's just really kind of interesting to see how like all the campaigns now, the Democrats are like grabbing this and using this as a weapon and not as defensive, like, well, I don't want to go too far, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's playing out down ballot as well. Um, let's focus in on a race in San Antonio. So there is a, a Democratic challenger to state representative uh, Steve Allison, uh, who and this is you know where Republicans get caught in the middle on things. Allison is somebody who's sometimes criticized by far right groups as being too liberal as a Republican. Um, he is uh, up against Democrat Becca DeFelice, and they had a debate, a forum in San Antonio, and he's sort of in the Alamo Heights area. This is, uh, you know, a more affluent part of uh, San Antonio. Um, and so and so watch it closely. This is not one that you can guarantee is going to go for the Republican. I mean, I, I kind of think of it as um, sort of like West U sort of area in, in, in Houston, uh, as, as far as compared to the rest of the city. Right. Um, and in their debate, in their exchange, the Democrat DeFelice said and pointed out that the Texas legislature passed one of the most extreme abortion bans in the whole country. Where the only way that there is a, um, the only carve out is if the woman is literally dying in front of the physician. It is only to save the life of the mother. No exceptions for rape, incest, or age, which means that a child who is assaulted and becomes pregnant will be forced to carry that pregnancy to term. And by children, we need to talk about the fact that Bear County has the highest child pregnancy rate in the state. That is children between the ages of 10 and 14. I need to know what 10 year old after being assaulted should be forced to have a child. Now the incumbent, Allison, says it's the Democrats who are extreme. I believe in the sanctity of life. I don't care if that's an unborn child, it's a newborn child, 
It's a child in a school. It's a child about to commit suicide. I believe in pro-life. I believe we need to preserve and protect the life of the child. What's not mentioned is the extreme. What the other side wanted was late-term abortion up until the time of birth. That's abhorrent. That's absolutely abhorrent. Sorry. Absolutely abhorrent. Look at look at the excuse me. A little civility. That is not true, though. Look at the bill that was proposed in Washington. That's exactly what it was. And there's exactly a reason why the only amendment, the only proposed amendment to provide exceptions for rape and incest was filed by a Republican. Didn't get a hearing, but it will next session. Now, one thing I said earlier about the value of the interim, you see where changes have developed. You see where there's problems with certain bills. You see where there's been developments in the public. I'm confident we're going to see a bill come forward that proposes exceptions for rape, incest, life of the mother. And maybe even further, a profound defects with the fetus. So Steve Allison there, Jeremy, acknowledging that the discussion on this in the next legislative session will probably be a little bit different. It's something that we also heard from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick when he was interviewed in Dallas-Fort Worth. And Jeremy, remember Patrick, and I think this was uh, either um, last show or two shows ago, Patrick said something like, hey, there will be a robust discussion about this, but, and he's talking about the exceptions, however, I didn't hear him say that he would support them and we had, you know, support those changes. And we haven't really seen outside of, I think, one state senator, any Republican office holders say that they would support those exceptions being, uh, you know, changed and put into law in the next legislative session. And here's something to understand. Um, anytime a law is passed in Texas, they can always change it. Yeah, they can always just change it later. They can change it um, you know, right now. If the governor wanted to have a special session, they could do that in the next legislative session in January next year. They could do that. Um, it's not as if they pass the law and then they have to wait for courts to strike down parts of it or other things have to happen. They can just go back and say, hey, we should fix the part that we screwed up. Yeah. And, and to be clear, you know, I, I spoke to you know State Senator Brian Hughes, the uh, Republican mm-hmm. from Mineola uh, in northeast Texas. Uh, he, they, uh, and I asked him, like, you know, when those bills were going through, why not some exceptions for rape and incest? Uh, and And this shows you how like there's just not a lot of room there he said that little baby didn't do anything wrong we should still protect that baby too it's Mm -hmm. like and so like and that's a philosophical thing within the right to life movement too uh and some of the most you know more aggressive you know lobbyists on that too it's like that that's not going to be an open door and i think you know what you're hearing from dan patrick there is of that same mindset yeah there there can Mm -hmm. be a discussion on it but it's going to be a massive hurdle if the republicans control the lieutenant governor's office still and brian hughes is you know you know kind of the key player on you know abortion issues in the you know texas legislature how do you get that guy to accept a bill that would you know go against clearly some belief that he has Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that for Patrick, it's an acknowledgement um, that the abortion issue right now is a hurdle for Republicans for him to talk about it the way he's talking about it, which is, like you said, to say that, hey, there will be a discussion. But he leaves out the fact that he's just he's not going to be for making any changes. And these other Republicans won't say outright that they would support making those changes. Speaking of Dan Patrick, I was struggling to remember and you had asked me the question, Jeremy, I was I was trying to go back in my in my mental file and remember any time 
when Patrick had been so on the attack against his Democratic challenger, and I believe the answer is never since he's been lieutenant governor. In fact, four years ago, he did not even acknowledge. I don't remember him ever, him or his campaign, and I, I might be corrected. Uh, I don't remember his campaign ever even mentioning Mike Collier in 2018. Certainly not in an advertisement. Maybe yeah, they said something not. about him in a. Maybe they said something about Collier in a in a press statement or something like that. But they didn't put money behind it. Um, I'm used to the Dan Patrick ads with the farm truck coming down the dirt road, kicking up dust. And the announcer says, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick fighting for Texas. And then Patrick will come on and say, I'm Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, proud to be your Lieutenant Governor. I'll fight the woke mob and I'll never back down. That's Patrick. That, that, that's Patrick on message, right? Was that pretty good? Does it sound almost like one of his ads? sounded like a, com uh, a, a complete Dan Patrick ad right there. You should just <laughs> bottle needed, that and sell that to the campaign and, you know, all, done. All I needed <laughs> all I need at next next show, Maya, we'll just we'll pull the music from the ad and I'll I'll reenact it. All I needed was the music there. Maybe we maybe in post we'll put the we'll put the music underneath that. Um but listen to this ad. There's no farm truck. Is is Patrick himself even in this ad, Jeremy? No, <laughs> except oh, for at the very so the, end, there's a dis, you know, disclaimer on the bottom that has a little you know picture of him in the corner. The star of this Dan Patrick ad, in a way, is Mike Collier. Democrats Joe Biden and Mike Collier. If you line up his policy point of view uh, with my policy point of view, you don't see a whole lot of daylight. And Mike Collier wants to bring these failed policies to Texas. Collier is against building a border wall. He supports open borders. Collier believes boys who think they are girls should play in girls sports. Mike Collier, wrong for lieutenant governor, wrong for Texas. You don't see a whole lot of daylight, 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 daylight. I like that. That's a good effect right there. Maya, we need to get work, uh, those kind of effects into the show sometimes, that, <laughs> you know, get the echo going. Um, Jeremy, what's your, what's your take? What do you think? You see Dan Patrick on the attack, and we've talked about the idea that that obviously Patrick's campaign and his can his chief strategist Alan Blakemore they must think that they have to run some kind of a different campaign. We see that with the bus tour all over Texas. We see it with a more aggressive stance now against his Democratic opponent. Um, I don't know that that means that they're in danger of losing, but it's certainly an acknowledgement that they got to you know shift things up. Yeah, so I, I saw that ad last Sunday night after the football game on NBC. So it's like they clearly bought a good time slot. So it's coming off the game. Right. And there I see this ad. I think I was one of the first people to see it, you know, and I'm like and I like nearly fell over in my chair because like, you know, Dan Patrick, he's old school. He plays this game by the book. He knows politics by the book. And one of the things in that book, I'll say page 42, uh, is that uh, you never say the name of your opponent, especially if nobody knows who he is. You know, it's if like, you don't have to. You know, right. Mike Collier has like such a name recognition problem in the state of Texas, right? But mm -hmm. here, you know, Dan Patrick kind of violates page 42 of my book <laughs> on, right. on, you know, classic campaigning. And, and, and then he says his name for millions of dollars on a prime <laughs> slot on right. broadcast. We're not talking cable buy or some like digital ad. This is like broadcast after a show that is usually the top rated show every single week, you know, in television. Right. It was that Sunday night football slot. And so here you have like a lot of money put into it. So yeah, it, is Dan Patrick concerned about losing? 
absolutely. It's like he Sounds is putting like, a yeah. lot more money and time and effort into this uh, to go after Collier and going off the playbook he used in 2018, obviously. Uh, so this is a different game. They're taking it very seriously. And he's, he said that even if you go back in time, back to May, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, he was speaking, I think it was May, when he was speaking to the convention, like he warned them that this is competitive racist cycle. It's like, this oh, is yeah. going to be a battle and we got to be ready. He was trying to tell this crowd, this is not your typical Texas governor's race where, you know, Rick Perry or Greg Abbott, you know, wins by 20 points. This is going to be close up and down the line. And here we finally have the evidence from Dan Patrick. Not only is he saying it, but he's showing mm-hmm. it. It reminds me of the story of a, another lieutenant governor in Texas who had two competitive primaries that he lost. And the first was for United States Senate. It was David Dewhurst, the sitting lieutenant governor, versus the uh, little-known solicitor general of Texas, Ted Cruz. And Maya, I'm here to tell you, if you went out on the street and asked five people, who is the solicitor general of Texas right now? No one would know. And in fact, you would be lucky if even one of them knew what the Solicitor General does, right? So the Solicitor General, Ted Cruz at the time, enjoyed the fact that Dewhurst in his TV ads was calling out Ted Cruz. And just like you said, Jeremy, putting millions of dollars behind it. And one of the effects of that is you're raising the name ID of your opponent. That was in 2012. In 2014, Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst running for, he lost the Senate race to Cruz, obviously. Um, in 2014, he was running for re-election as Lieutenant Governor. And he was running television ads against his opponent, putting millions of dollars behind this person's name. And of course, Jeremy, that person's name was Dan Patrick. And Dewhurst lost to Patrick, and now Patrick is doing the same thing with Mike Collier in this general election which I know that he and his campaign team won't appreciate me pointing that out, but it's exactly what happens. Like you said, people don't even know who Mike Collier is for a lot of them. They don't know who Rochelle Garza is, right? For for Democrats in Texas to have their Republican opponents spend so much money blasting them is one of the biggest favors they could do for them. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and, and look, there's territory there for Patrick to make the case that, look, you know, you know, Mike Collier is attached at the hip with, you know, Joe sure. Biden. He's a terrible guy. You know, mm-hmm. nobody likes Joe Biden in Texas, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> right. they're going to do that. Yeah, it's like, they're clearly playing that card. But there's a danger in that. You know, I sit there and I think of like, look, the, for the Houston voter or the San Antonio voter or the Austin voter, you're reminding that Mike Collier, you know, was actually, you know, pretty high up with you know joe biden has a relationship with him and there's that part that goes well that could be kind of helpful if the lieutenant governor could reach the white house kind of like dan patrick did you know with donald trump that can't sure. be a bad thing right you could probably like work some stuff out probably get some things you know i could if, if there were like uh, uh, uh this is a nightmare scenario for our republican listeners but if beto o'rourke and mike collier were elected you know, in these spots, their access mm-hmm. to the White House over the next two years would be amazingly good. <laughs> you know, right. you have Beto O'Rourke's former campaign manager, who's a deputy chief of staff in the White House, and you'd have Mike Collier, who was Biden's guy in in Texas. You know, as one of his senior advisors, that you know, 
took him around Houston on one of his first trips into Houston when he was a candidate for the for the White House. So you have like a lot of access there. So it's just kind of interesting to see Patrick just kind of like, you know, taking this approach to remind us all in Houston, oh, yeah, that's right. Collier was there on the ground level with Joe Biden. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you think about celebrities endorsing political candidates? I got this question a lot over the last couple of weeks because we saw quite a bit of this. Uh, you had uh, Harry Styles. Uh, endorsing Beto with Beto in the crowd and with Greg Abbott's daughter in the crowd in Austin, which is just kind of fun. I hope she had a good time at the concert. I, I'm sure that she did. I mean, hey, do any of those people here's part and here's part of why this topic comes up. It's easy for them to scream and have a great time and and be so excited at a concert when Harry Styles has, you know, the Beto for Texas sticker on his guitar or whatever. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah. And um, and the difference between that and actually going to vote. There's a lot of people in that crowd who can't vote because they're not old enough. And there's a lot of the people in that crowd who didn't even know that, you know, this past week was the was the deadline to register to vote. Right. They, they haven't gotten into the process of it just yet. And of course, people will say, well, look, Scott, a lot of that is because we have, you know, these restrictions on voting in Texas or other places where they could just register the same day as the election. Right. We don't have that. You have to jump through a bunch of hoops to be able to vote in Texas, although we do have some accommodations like two weeks of early voting and all that. So I get a little uh, agitated with some of the people who want to go a little too far, I think, with saying that, oh, wow, it's so hard to vote in Texas. Um, It is for some people. And I think it's fair to say for the vast majority of people, it's because they don't care enough. And I'm going to get a lot of hate mail about that. But that said, when you have Harry Styles doing what he did, when you have the chicks I remember I'm old enough to have, you know, been a disc jockey when I was, you know, in my teens playing their music when they were the Dixie Chicks, right? Now they're just the Chicks. I can't get used to that. I love the Dixie Chicks. What was the first song? Do you, do you remember the first single, Jeremy? Uh, I'm not going to remember the name of the song, but I can mm-hmm. hear it in my head. As soon as I say it, you'll know it. It was, yeah. I can love you, but I can love you better. Yep. That was it. All right. And that was followed up by, you know wide open spaces and all these, all these great songs. And of course they, at some point got political, right. When they took on uh, another Texan, you know, former governor and president George W. Bush, and they got canceled, but they were the original victims of cancel culture, right? Because, you know, country radio, which is pretty conservative, a pretty conservative audience. Did you know that for, uh, for conservative uh, talk shows and conservative talk radio, uh, the, the way it gets ranked for listenership, is and this is down in the weeds of radio, but I'm a radio dork. If a person is a P1 of a station of a of a radio station, that means that the the first station that they go to when they get in their car is that station. So, like, let's say in Houston, I get in my car. The first station that I would put on would be KTRH 7:40 AM because I want to hear you know my conservative talk radio shows. The P2 is that that's the second station you go to. Right. So so I might listen to my conservative talk for a little while. I'd be a P2 for a big country station. Right. So they share a lot of listeners is the point. This is why the chicks got canceled back in the day, because so many country listeners are pretty conservative. Well, the chicks are just all in now for Democrats. Right. And the chicks were, you know, doing this at their concerts all over. I think they did it in Austin. I know they did it in Montgomery County. And the chicks were saying, hey, look, it's all about standing up for women. If you have women in your life that you care about, then you need to vote for Beto O'Rourke.
So they're screaming, vote for Beto. Now, who is it that's coming to Houston? Uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda? Yep. Is he doing some stuff for, for Beto as well? Yeah, the uh, you know obviously one of the biggest Broadway composers slash rapper slash well everything you know he's coming to Houston uh, to do uh, I, I don't think he'll do a performance but he'll certainly bring some serious beats to <laughs> to a Beto work rally that we haven't heard yet you know it's like obviously you know uh, everybody knows him as this New Yorker uh, but his family's uh, from Puerto Rico originally and he mm-hmm. has you know major you know, influence obviously within, you know, uh, the Hispanic community. And this is going to be a blowout type of thing. You know, it's like, you know, spend some time with, you know, in the East end of Houston, talking to people about that mm-hmm. uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, and you'll get a sense for how big this dude is and how maybe he can reach that, like, not, uh, you know, that voter you're talking about who, you know, may cheer their head off at a Harry Styles show, but how do you get Mm -hmm. them to the polls? Well, that's the same thing in the East End. Like, how do you get people who are kind of like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to vote. Maybe I will. But you bring Miranda in there to give, uh, you know, kind of a testimonial of this guy that can't hurt. Right. You you don't think he's going to perform? Do you think he'll talk? Let me ask you this. Do you think he'll talk more about Beto than Willie did? when all he really ended up doing was playing uh, music. Oh, yeah, almost for sure. Because, you know, look, uh, the, the cool thing about Lin-Manuel Miranda is, like, he's from a very political family. I know this from my time in New York. Like, you know, his dad used to fight with, you know, New York Mayor Ed Koch all the time. Like, he just hassled oh, wow. him everywhere he went <laughs> around the city until one day Ed Koch said, that's it. I'm going to hire you. You can be my, you know, Hispanic outreach coordinator. And that is where kind of the Miranda household starts in politics. So, so obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to be a a very democratic guy. His dad now works for all kinds of people. He worked on the Clinton campaign. He, you know, I'm not sure if he worked with Biden's campaign, but he certainly has worked on a lot of big presidential campaigns since. Right. Now, now what about people will say on this whole topic of celebrities getting involved? You know, I don't go to see Hamilton or I don't go to see the chicks or I don't go to see Willie Nelson or I don't go to see, I'll give you another example, Ted Nugent. I don't go to see these people for their politics, right? I like their music. That's why I'm there. Like I said, Greg Abbott's daughter was at Harry Styles. I'm I'm sure she didn't appreciate the Beto endorsement. Um, But I argue that if you go see an artist, it's inherently open to being political, right? And this is not new. People, you know, people have gotten into sports figures, have you ever heard of Muhammad Ali? Right. I mean, sports figures, musicians, music is political. Right. And so I think what people will say, oh, hey, they shouldn't. I, don't, I didn't go there for that. They shouldn't you know, speak that. I mean, you have every right to not go to the concert, but get used to it. If you're paying money to see a person, you get everything that comes with that person. Right. You get their art. You get their politics. You get their personality. Sometimes you get the controversy that goes with that person. Like Harry Styles, yeah. well, <laughs> you get everything. Well, and, and like you said, it works the other way, too. There, there are plenty of people who probably were Democrats and liberals who listened to Merle Haggard and, you know, Toby Keith and all these guys. You know, it's just like everybody had, a, right. you know, listen to Toby Keith at some point, you know, way before he went like very hardcore. Right. But but like yes. it, it, it songs Willie, Willie Nelson, you know, again, it all comes back to Willie. Right. If, if Willie can negotiate with these people and their music, what like, look, enjoy the show. If you don't like what they say, you know, don't have the book how, how they're telling you, but don't like hold it against the artist for having a viewpoint. You know, it's like I, I'm one of those guys. Let them go wherever they need to go. It's part of their music. It's part of their art. You know, let them kind of you know do that thing out. Do I think ultimately it'll have a big impact? 
Not sure, but it does right. help. That's the thing. Like we're in a key point of the election. We are now in, you know, I, I'll call it DEFCON 2. This is get out the vote operation time. You know, like this next week is it. You know, it's like early voting starts the, the following Monday. And so what you mm-hmm. have, like these campaigns trying to figure out how do I get people motivated? And it's like, and so mm-hmm. having, you know, people like Lynn manuel Miranda or Harry Siles bringing, you know, more casual voters into the world to know that, oh, by the way, there's a big election going on. You know, it's like just to to start doing that is kind of a very critical point to what's happening. There's a method to all this. And, yeah, we're going to see a lot, you know, over the next couple of weeks of just how much these guys drill down in their, you know, their get up vote operations in different communities. I was with, you know, Beto O'Rourke on uh, Sunday in the Tidwell, you know, neighborhood uh, in northeast Houston as he's trying Mm -hmm. to find ways. How do I motivate people to come out to vote? How do we? reach the people who aren't regular voters and get them to the polls because he needs them all. It's like he cannot become the next governor of Texas unless he gets a huge turnout in the black community and in the Hispanic Mm -hmm. communities in in Houston. He needs them badly. And you can see he's trying to get there. Look, and and look, the field's not all his, you know, obviously, you know, Greg Abbott is, you know, doing his part. You, you, You can't go to a Greg Abbott event where he's not talking about historic, you know, low unemployment numbers, you know, for, for, you know, black Texans and, and Hispanic Texans and trying to hit those issues too. So he knows, you know, there's a potential vulnerability there and he's trying to like, you know, do his own thing. But it's just going to be really interesting to watch this as we get into this like final week of, you know, if you got to get somebody out to vote, you got to do it now. Another Texas artist, Casey Musgraves, who I, I think she is one of the best writers in country music currently. Um, I mean, and let me say this. Sad Casey is so much more uh, amazing than happy Casey. <laughs> but she was singing. Do you agree with that? So, um, this uh, uh, Space Cowboy. Check that out. Um, you know that one, Maya? Look, at, look She does. Um, she, so she was singing one of her happy songs, which is High Horse. And right, it's not as good, right? Although she, she made it more interesting. Um, she was singing High Horse and she took a shot. At Ted Cruz, listen. I would say that she really must hate Cruz because it didn't rhyme with anything. She just threw his name in there, right? It was like, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, everyone knows someone who kills the buzz whenever they start talking. And she says, Ted Cruz. And it was a little hard to hear the rest. She says, I said what I said. And then she starts kind of dancing around. Um, Here's something that I find fascinating about Cruz is he has had to do so much work. And we've talked about this, Jeremy, shoring up the base of the Republican Party for himself, right, after flaming out with Trump supporters years ago. And um, there was an example of this this week where there's this, uh, I guess they're sort of a comedy team, social media guys. They call themselves the good liars. And they go around kind of doing different stunts. And these guys, the good liars, they went to a Trump rally and they were passing out signs. The signs read, Ted Cruz sucks. So these guys, obviously they agree with Casey Musgraves. What was interesting was a lot of the Ted uh, Cruz haters included Trump supporters. A lot of the Trump supporters were taking these Ted Cruz sucks signs and they thought that they were great. Do you want a free uh, Ted Cruz sucks sign? Ted Cruz? Yeah. yeah. He does suck, right? Yeah. <laughs> he does yeah. suck. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Absolutely. It almost is the one thing Democrats and Republicans can agree on. 
Uh-huh. Ted Cruz moment. sucks. Absolutely. Ted Cruz sucks. We can all come together on one thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ted yeah. Cruz sucks. And so at the end of the video of that, there was a Democrat and a Republican embraced in a, in a warm hug. The, the Trump supporters and the Democratic guys saying Ted Cruz sucks and they're giving the thumbs up. Well, let me let me give Senator Cruz a chance to weigh in here and prove that he does not suck. He's still I mean, he's still pretty good on the campaign trail, Jeremy. He, you know, he's doing a bus tour as well, a la Dan Patrick. But I, and I'm not even sure. What Cruz is doing other than just running for president again, because he's on the bus. And the first video that he put out uh, on his bus tour was a, a stop at the Bucky's. I think the one in Katy. It looked like the Houston area. Um, and of course, Senator Cruz looks so natural striding through the the Bucky's and getting uh, I think he was getting a 12 pack of Shiner beer and and saying we've got provisions for the road. And he's kind of looking around awkwardly. Well, his bus has made its way. The the cruise, uh, whatever he's calling it, or the cruise in America. I don't know. He's he's cruising through <laughs> through Arizona, <laughs> and you've seen the Showtime uh, show, uh, the circus. Yeah, it's the politics show with uh, Mark McKinnon, another uh, another Texan, and some other people. Tim Miller, who used to work for Jeb Bush, uh, I think he was on the Bush presidential run. Uh, I think he was communications for. Jeb Bush's uh, run for president, which did not work out, of course. And part of that um, race, of course, is what informed Tim Miller hating Donald Trump so much. Right. Tim Miller is now he's like, hey, hey, I'm a Republican, but I'm a never Trump guy. That's who this guy is. So, So Tim Miller was on the Showtime show and he confronted Ted Cruz about the fact that you have the senator in Arizona. When you remember on January 6th. Cruz was the guy leading the charge in the Senate to object to election results in places like Arizona. And it gets a little ugly here. You'll hear uh, Tim Miller ask Cruz a question. And at some point, Cruz just says, look, th- your question is exactly why the media is a joke. Hey, Senator. How good to doing? see you in Arizona. It's good to be you, here. You objected to the 2020 vote here in Arizona uh, and uh, in the Senate. You were the lead Senate objector to that. Since then, there have been a few audits. The Republican governor, Republican Senate president, the Republican Speaker of the House all said the election was fair. Do you disagree with Doug Ducey and agree with Blake Masters and Carrie Lake, or have you changed your view? It's been been two years now. There's a reason the media is a joke, because questions like that, please, let's have one Republican fight with another Republican. Let me tell you what the people of Arizona care about, that we have the highest inflation in the country in the Phoenix area. What the people of Arizona care about is they can't afford to put food on the table. They can't afford to fill their car. What the people of Arizona care about is the murder rates that are out of control. What the people of Arizona care about... The people of Arizona voted for Joe Biden. Look, I... Wait, no, right? You, did I, they not? Did they or did I they not vote for Joe Biden? Your job did they or did they not vote for Joe Biden? But that's I'm not your you job. And I don't care about your political agenda. I don't have to ask you. Did okay, you done. try to object to their, to their vote? You're done. Why am I done? You, because you're being a hack. Okay, let me say a couple things about that. One, I think it's fair for Miller to ask the question of Cruz, right? To say, hey, look, you objected to the election results here, and now you have all these Republicans who have disagreed with you, Senator Cruz, about it. I think that Cruz is also onto something, though, because he doesn't want to answer that question, obviously. He, he, I mean, he says that the the guy is a hack and all of that, and I think that's maybe a little over the top. But I don't think he's wrong to say, hey, what people do care about around here is the economy. And what people do care about around here is the fact that it costs more when they go to the grocery store and things like that. Um, look, this goes right back to 
the fact that you have Republicans and Democrats, Jeremy, who and some of these never Trump Republicans as well. But you have different people who only want to talk about the thing that they want to talk about and not even answer a question about different things. So that might be, hey, might be the election results, the election deniers, all these conspiracy theories and all of that. You'll have some Republicans who just don't even want to talk about that. Right. They may not want to talk about abortion restrictions and they don't want to talk about uh, gun violence after Uvalde. But Cruz isn't wrong to say, hey, it's the economy, stupid. That's what everybody's concerned about around here. And that may be the determinative factor for the election. I think you pointed out earlier that uh, that 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 vote in Kansas tells us a lot about where people are on the issue of abortion. But that vote was just about the issue. It was a it was a ballot proposition, right? These elections where you have two candidates going head to head, they're not just about one issue. They're dynamic. They're about all the things I just mentioned and a whole lot more. And that's part of what makes it so hard to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. When you have these super competitive races, it's like it's one thing when like you have base on base type politics where like the Republicans know, who, you know, what's going to motivate their people. Talk about the border, you know, get them out there. The Democrats are, you know, know their issue. You know, we're going to push, you know, talk about abortion. Uh, and so now you get. So what about the independence. What the heck is going to make them come out and vote for our side? They may not care about either one of those things that are being talked about, right? And it's like, so you can see this like, you know, almost Rubik's Cube at trying to figure out what makes an independent or a, you know, a moderate want to come out and vote for our guys. And that's the one thing I wonder about with Ted Cruz. You know, bringing Ted Cruz to Arizona in a state that is like neck and neck, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like wow. It's like, what do you, you know, it's like, is he not potentially pushing off a lot of independent voters at this point, you know, because the caricature of Ted Cruz, whether accurate or not, has kind of gotten out of hand for him, you know, where like people in the middle kind of, you know, you heard it from Casey Musgrave, she's not in the middle, but, but like, there's kind of a visceral kind of thing with Ted Cruz right now that, you know, it's one thing when he was helping candidates out in a primary, totally get it. I totally get that, you know, but to have him in the middle of a, a big fight, there's a reason you're not seeing Ted Cruz in the campaign trail with Greg Abbott and like mm -hmm. say, hey, I love Greg Abbott. He's the best. You know, if you like me, you'll love him. <laughs> it's like I'm sure the you know, the Abbott people are like, eh, we'll pass on that. You, yeah, go ahead and go on <laughs> out to Arizona. Tucson needs you right now. <laughs> yeah, a Southwest stay out of tour Williamson sounds County. good. <laughs> You're right. A Southwest, uh, a Southwest U.S. Uh, uh, tour sounds good for you, Senator Cruz. <laughs> I think it also just comes back to the fact that why is he campaigning anywhere that's not Texas? We know the, re the you know that he's running for president once again, as simple as that. All right. That's enough show, I think, for this week. You yeah. good, Jeremy? Yeah, I, I, I think it's time to get back on the road. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Maya, I feel you, awkward when I'm not on the road. <laughs> yeah, you got to get back out there. Maya, you good? Is that enough? She's giving the big th two thumbs up. Did you see that? All right. This is your favorite show, and you know so. Even when I'm a little off, it's all right. If you are subscribed, it just shows up right on your phone every week. You don't have to do anything. You should tell all of your friends to subscribe to the show, however they listen to podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. We don't judge you, but you can judge us. You can rate the show, give us a review, write nice things, but only if you're feeling it. Okay. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com. Ghost Rose, we'll see you next time. <laughs>